welcome everyone uh, to the Quantum Heart Cafe. I know I haven't been on the haven't uh, provided a show in a little while, but just been busy. I had a big move over the last couple of weeks, um, but I'm I'm back and I'm excited to have invited um, a very special guest. His name is Arthur Furstenberg, and uh, he's an author, journalist, researcher, and scientist who wrote the book Invisible Rainbow. A History of Electricity and, and Life, which I spoke about in a, a previous shows, and if anyone's interested in listening to those shows, I'll link them in the uh, podcast, but I have uh, spoken about Arthur's book uh, in the show before, and it's a very important book, and I would encourage people uh, to read the book on electromagnetic uh, radiation, because especially with the rollout of 5G, and now I've heard them talking about 6G, um, the health implications of the rollout of Wi-Fi and blanketing on our Earth with 5G and eventually I'm pretty sure they want to go up to 7G. Um, I don't know what that's going to do to us. I mean, we're already very sick from electromagnetic radiation, but um, anyway, we'll get into that in the show. Uh, Arthur is also the uh, founder and president of the Cell Phone Task Force, which provides um, up-to-date information on injuries caused caused by wireless technology. Um, as the president of the Santa Fe Alliance for Public Health and Safety, the uh, organization was successful in opposing citywide citywide uh, Wi-Fi in Santa Fe, New Mexico. So, you know, it is inspiring to see that there's people uh, working on preventing the further rollout of wireless technologies. And from what I understand, they want to put antennas and uh, and they're they're already sending satellites up into the sky to blanket our earth with 5g so there I mean there are I think there's growing awareness which is um, I think is very uh, inspiring and then um, Arthur's works has been featured in publications such as Mother Jones uh, the San Francisco Chronicle and the New York Times if anyone would like to read uh, further or research his work further um, and I would like to just thank you, Arthur, for joining us this morning. Thank you for inviting me. Um, and uh, just before we get uh, uh, going with the uh, questions, I usually on, on my show I usually like to uh, do a moment of gratitude, and also uh, I usually share my favorite beverage, which uh, for me it's coffee, but um, for you it may be something else. But I would like to uh, invite you, Arthur. Arthur, to share a moment of gratitude on the show? I am grateful for being alive on this earth. I'm grateful for nature and the roses in my garden, the ravens in the trees next door, and my cat. Mm. And my favorite beverage, hot beverage, is hot chocolate. Well, yeah, hot chocolate's good. I Sometimes I'll make a, uh, a a mocha at home. I'll just grab some really nice hot chocolate, like the dark hot chocolate, and combine that with some coffee. It's really good. Um, and uh, today I'm just gonna, you know, I'm grateful because I, I woke up and the the sun was out. Was out. I mean, it's kind of cloudy today, but the sun's out and the the birds are singing their songs. And there's a lot of beautiful flowers blooming right now. So there's a lot of beauty in. Uh, I really do enjoy the spring and summer where you see um, 
a lot of the beauty and the just the abundance that Mother Nature offers us. And um, and then with that, with all that, I think uh, we could get started with the interview t- uh, today. Uh, so Arthur, can you share with our listeners uh, your background and when you began to notice the effects of electromagnetic radiation, um, like the effects ha- it was having on humans and other living beings? I was in medical school in 1980, and I had a series of dental x-rays, a large series of dental x-rays during that summer, and the final series, they turned on the x-ray machine, and I felt something change in the back of my skull, and I felt an electric current go through me from head to toes. And actually what it felt like is it was traveling from my head to my toes and out into the floor. And the next morning when I went on rounds in the hospital, I could feel electricity coming from every piece of electrical equipment in the hospital. So um, my life changed basically from one second to the next. And I began to pay attention, as you might imagine. And I began to study what was going on, which I had to do on my own and by reaching out to researchers in the field. Of course, they were not teaching us about electromagnetic fields in medical school at all. Um, the year after that, um, I was still in medical school, and on surgery rotation, I discovered that I was getting um, pains in my hips, crippling pains in my hips, after every surgery that I assisted at. And I went to my attending physician, and I said, uh, can I please be excused from the operating room? And he said, yes, but under the condition that you write a research paper on a topic of your choice. And since he said it was the topic of my choice, I chose the effect of electromagnetic energy on living organisms. And I went to the library, medical school library. I was at Irvine, California. And lo and behold, before me on the bookshelves were lots and lots of books on electromagnetic fields, electromagnetic radiation, and health that they were not teaching us in medical school. And that was my first piece of real research that was in the fall of 1981. Um, Shortly after that, at the end of February, we were on uh, inpatient pediatrics, and I collapsed one day on the floor of the hospital with the symptoms of a heart attack. It was, in fact, nothing detectable wrong with my heart and I decided 
I was not going to survive the rest of school. I finished about three years, and I quit school and became a normal person who was not going to be a doctor. And that lasted until 1996, when Omnipoint Communications came to New York City. I was living in Brooklyn, where I grew up. And there was an article in the New York Daily News that I picked up one day. It said 3,000 city lampposts are about to become part of the wireless revolution. And I knocked on my friend Pell DeLevy's door, who was part of, by that time, a support group that used to walk around Manhattan on the streets. We were support for each other, for people who had been injured by electromagnetic fields and or chemicals. So we called ourselves chemically sensitive, electrically sensitive, and we were a support group. And I knocked on Pelta's door. I showed her the article in the Daily News, and she was as freaked out as I was. And we started an organization called the Cellular Phone Task Force, which of which I am still president today. Much to my amazement, I did not know that I was going to be doing this 26 years later still. And that is my history of how I got into this field. Well, and it, it, I mean, it, and I I wasn't even aware, because I'm apprenticing as an electrician. Um, yes. And maybe it's my... Uh, vocational karma or something, but I, because I was completely unaware, because I th- thought being an electrician, oh, you know, it's electricity is safe, it's fine. Um, but I started reading your book, and I was just like, oh my god, like this is, this is serious. And you know, it's something that I've been reflecting on is, you know, do I continue being an electrician, or can I use being an electrician as a way to educate people, because maybe there'll be more willing to listen to an electrician than, you know, someone else who's, you know, bringing up the, raising, trying to raise the alarm that this is, you know, we have to be very careful with electromagnetic radiation. We probably should reduce how much we rely on it, and we definitely shouldn't be using 5G, 6G, and I think they even want to talk, they're even talking about going all the way up to 7. Um, And part of that, I think, uh, stems to the fact that, I mean, it was back in the 1800s from, uh, just from what I was reading in your book that, you know, a lot of scientists were doing research into uh, electromagnetic radiation. There was one group who was all for it and they were wanted to go full steam ahead, not interested in the consequences. And then there was another group of scientists that were more cautious and they were saying, hey, well, maybe we should think about this because this is, you know, this could be uh, pretty dangerous if we just you know, blanket our cities with electromagnetic, or sorry, electromagnetic radiation. Um, can you share those two groups? And I think, I mean, you know, the one that wanted to go f- full steam ahead, like they they want out. Like we've we're inundated with it. But I think, um, I think there is an important connection between the past and what's going on now, um, and maybe that can help people understand. Yeah, this is why more. I wrote the book because people. Mm-hmm are under the impression that this is a very recent problem. Mm-hmm. And 
they ask, well, why we've been using electricity for a couple of centuries? Why is it all of a sudden a problem? So I, I delved back into history, back in, to the early 1800s, well, early 1700s, actually, and uh, documented that it has always been a problem. It's not a recent problem. Back in the 18th century, uh, electricity was not used as technology. It was only used in medicine. It was used for electrotherapy for a wide variety of diseases. And all the electrotherapists <clears throat> knew that electricity could have beneficial effects on health for people who were had various health problems, and that it could, and that it also had a lot of side effects. And I will read from page 28 of my book. There's a whole list of the non-therapeutic effects that were known to all the elect. They called themselves electricians back in the 18th century. They they were treating disease. These were doctors, in some, in some cases they were laypersons, and they were doing electrotherapy, and these were the non-therapeutic effects. Dizziness, nausea, headaches, nervousness, irritability, mental confusion, depression, insomnia, drowsiness, fatigue, weakness, numbness, and tingling, muscle and joint pains, muscle spasms, cramps, backaches, heart palpitations, chest pain, colic, Diarrhea, constipation, nosebleeds, hemorrhage, itching, tremors, seizures, paralysis, fever, respiratory infections, shortness of breath, coughing, wheezing, asthma attacks, eye pain, weakness and fatigue, ringing in the ears, and metallic taste in the mouth. And these were all effects that electricians, electrotherapists in the 18th century observed and wrote about. That's in addition to beneficial effects on various diseases, including pain relief and increase of body temperature. And uh, There were a lot of uses. They, they, they treated blind people and deaf people and, and crippled people and, and had some degree of success with a lot of diseases that probably they would not have today because back then we did not have universal exposure to electromagnetic fields in our daily life. So you could go to a doctor and you could get this temporary therapy and you could go home. But today we are blasted with it. Um, and yes, back in the 18th century there was a, a division of thought that, that the reason they used electricity for electrotherapy in medicine is that Electricity was thought to be related to the life force. And there were some, like Jean Morin in France, who, who said, wait a minute, hold on. This is not to be used widely all around the world because he said that living things would lose the spark of life that is in them if they were blasted with electromagnetism 24-7. So there was, there was a, a controversy between people that thought that we should look for 
uses to be put to it all over the world, and people thought, no, be careful. And also, I wanted to tell you that if you're training to be an electrician, that um, I don't know if you're familiar with the field of building biology, but it is a relatively new profession of experts that mitigate electromagnetic fields in people's homes and on people's properties. And, and there are building biologists all around the world and all around the United States, and a lot of them started off as electricians. And those are the most valuable building biologists because they know electricity already. No, I didn't I didn't know that, but I, I wrote it down so I can look at it. Um, look look up more... the Building Biology Institute. Okay. They're actually based here. Their trainings have been taking place here in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll write them down. Maybe they. Uh, I, I would even. And if you're a person who who has health problems from uh, from electromagnetic fields, you, you call up the nearest building biologist, and they come and they measure all the fields, and they uh, they rewire your house and they mitigate the problem. Oh wow! Yeah, I mean, I I definitely wrote that down because that would be a great um, path for me to take because I I would like to uh, continue educating people about the dangers of electromagnetic uh, magnetic radiation because this is serious. And from what I read in your book, like for the electromagnetic therapy, that they were using tiny tiny amounts of current, like it wasn't um, tiny and brief, mm -hmm. like for a few minutes at a time. Um, Endeavor to a painful level. Mm -hmm. Whereas now, like the the level of current, which is and it's it's interesting because when they talk to us about electrical safety, um, they're always saying that like oh around seventy milliamps is when like if you uh, if an electromagnetic current goes through your body, especially your heart, um, it's only seventy milliamps, which isn't a very it's a very small amount of current, but that can <laughs> induce a heart attack. Um, but we're inundated with, and it's not just the currents, it's frequencies and everything that we're inundated with this stuff in our homes too, like with dirty uh, dirty electricity. Um, but the one that I find the most concerning is uh, definitely the 5G and the wireless communications, which we'll uh, talk to in a moment um, a bit further. But uh, that's, that's the one that I'm uh, very uh, concerned about, because at least with dirty electricity, we can... It's a, you know we can kind of fix that with wireless technology like the it's the telecommunications companies that are putting all these antennas all over the place. Um, but before we get into that, I, I just wanted to because um, when I was reading your book, I, I noticed that there was a lot of like especially with the um, kind of so the, the diseases being caused by electromagnetic radiation that. I noticed one of the common uh, themes is that it's affecting our mitochondria, and it's interesting because I was I've, I've been reading some books like uh, children's stories, but then also uh, other books on electromagnetic radiation, and the mitochondria are coming up quite a bit. And it looks like electromagnetic radiation is interfering with our mitochondria's ability to um, metabolize and and fulfill its uh, its role in our body. I was wondering if you can talk a little bit about that and, and the health implications of mitochondria, because it feels like the world of the small is under attack by electromagnetic radiation. 
yes, uh, our mitochondria contain a what's called an electron transport chain, which is the last step in metabolizing our food. And the electron transport chain delivers electrons resulting from the digestion of our food to the oxygen we breathe. So in essence, we're burning our food. We're burning sugars, fats, and proteins by breathing oxygen. And the electron transport chain is the last step in delivering the electrons from our food to the oxygen that we breathe. Electrons, of course, are influenced by electromagnetic fields. So we are in interfering with the movement of electrons in our mitochondria, which means that we are interfering with metabolism, which means that when we are in this soup, which everybody is today all over the earth, of electromagnetic fields, we are no longer efficiently metabolizing sugars, fats, and proteins, which means that Sugars, instead of quickly getting metabolized by our cells, are backing up into our bloodstream, getting excreted by our kidneys, and that's called diabetes. Um, fats, instead of getting quickly and efficiently metabolized in our cells, are building up in our blood, getting deposited in our, our arteries, including our coronary arteries, and that's giving us heart disease. And there is a theory which is coming into wider acceptance that oxygen deprivation is one of the causes, if not the main cause, of cancer. It's an indirect mechanism, but what happens when the electron transport chain is not working efficiently is you are effectively depriving your cells of oxygen because the, uh, the electrons are not getting delivered to the oxygen that you're breathing in an efficient manner. So, and also when you're not digesting fats efficiently, they build up in your body or you excrete them like mad. So you either get thin and lose weight depending on your genetic makeup or you get obese. And, and uh, so this uh, problem in the mitochondria, which is caused by this soup of radiation, is causing a lot of the obesity, diabetes, heart disease, and cancer today. Well, and, um, and I, I want... And I have a chapter on uh, each one of those diseases in my book. Mm, and I think that's really important if, for people who are listening to this to, um, you know, really pay attention to those chapters because it's always, you know, you hear on the news and stuff like that that um, obesity and diabetes is the failure of, um, of, like, willpower or whatever, or it's, like, it's that person's fault, or it's it's diet. And, yet yeah, I think diet has a, a, a role to play in that, but, you know, they, they always... It has a role today. Mm -hmm. But 150 years ago, people used to eat enormous amounts of sugar and there was no diabetes. Oh, wow. Today, when we're inundated with radiation, 
you got to cut down on your sugars and uh, and simple carbohydrates, and then you won't get diabetes. But but sugar did not cause diabetes 150 years ago. Okay. And that's what I found out in my research, and that's what I documented in my book. Okay. And I think that's just really important because you know that's what the new the news never talks about, or mainstream media hasn't really spoken about the effects of electromagnetic radiation on our bodies and how and that that the relationship between the increase in the electromagnetic smog and the increase in these diseases like heart disease and diabetes because they don't you know they don't talk about mitochondria they don't talk about any of that so you know people are I don't I don't even think that people a lot of people are aware that you know they're the reason why we're getting sick is because of all this electromagnetic smog that we're we're in every day, um, and another uh, thing I've noticed too, or when I was reading your book, what, what I thought was really important was and interesting was how uh, back in the 18th, 18th century, um, stu- or what's considered psychological today, like anxiety and depression and so on, were they were more so considered neurological diseases. They weren't. It was only up until Sigmund Freud when that got changed to, when those got kind of got pushed put into the kind of the psychological uh, and mental illness. But I just can you uh, kind of speak to that and just speak to how electromagnetic. Yes, there, there was a disease called mm-hmm. neurasthenia, mm-hmm. which was first described in the 1860s, and that was when. It, Telegraph wires were being strung, millions of miles of telegraph wires were being strung all around the earth, and people started to be exposed to significant electro, electromagnetic fields. And part of the reason was because these were one-wire systems, that the return current all went through the earth. Um, a lot of the return current today still goes through the earth, but there's also a return wire um, back when they were starting to use electricity for technology, it was a one-wire system. The Earth was containing all the return current, and people were getting exposed to significant electromagnetic fields. And there was this new disease called neurasthenia, which was a neurological problem. And from the 1860s, 70s, 80s, a lot of famous people came down with it, and they didn't know what caused it until about 1895 when Sigmund Freud said, huh, this is a psychological problem. He renamed it anxiety neurosis, and today it's called anxiety disorder. And uh, basically did not exist um, before the 1850s, 1860s. And... Um, given that we're using cell phones and smartphones and work, uh, wireless technology, like I mean, I see it all over the place, especially because I sometimes I'll, I'll ride uh, public transit and everyone's on their phones. And at the same time, there's also been this rise in, uh, you know, anxiety disorders and depression. And so, you know, there's a relationship there, right? Like there's a re- relationship between our increased use in this technology and the, the the rise of anxiety disorders and so on, right? Anxiety disorders, depression, 
sleep disorders. Yes, very okay. much so. And uh, and I just wanted to share that because I think you know, as especially as five um, G and six G rolls out, like, I don't know if you're familiar with her work, but Alison McDowell, um, she writes a lot about um, like the social impact bonds and five uh, G. Because what the telecommunications companies and the uh, techno uh, or the technology companies, they really now they're focused on putting all these wireless devices everywhere, like not, you know, smart TVs, smart appliances, smart everything. And uh, and to do that, they need to put out more antennas, more. Um, Today in America. Uh, and probably in Canada, though I've been researching more America, mm -hmm. um, the average household has about 25 different wireless devices in it. Wow. And every one of those devices puts out radiation. Mm -hmm. So we are definitely blanketed. And from what I understand, too, like the um, when I was reading your book, the antennas, that they're gonna, because the 5G, from what I understand, or maybe um, you can talk to this, is just how the 5G, um, the, they're smaller waveforms, right? Like they're not as big as the f uh, 4 and 3G, is the that frequencies correct? are, uh, at, at least where they're aiming at, mm -hmm. is the very short millimeter waves up to 40, 50, 60, 80 gigahertz. And then 6G is gonna go all the way up to 300 gigahertz. Yes, very, very tiny waves. Well, and um, from what I understand too is that in order to make this work, they have to have all these smaller antennas, but they have to be closer together um, for the wave. And there are there are two reasons for that. Mm -hmm. uh, one is that these small waves are easily blocked by objects, mm -hmm. so they have to be close to where you live because there's trees and houses in the way otherwise. Mm -hmm. And the other reason is that um, they use such an enormous amount of electromagnetic spectrum, of bandwidth, that they can only serve a limited number of customers. So there have to be a lot more antennas. Mm -hmm. And and that's just because uh, maybe this is will segue into the next question because that's. I feel like that's just one way that the telecommunications companies are going to blanket our planet with 5G is with these antennas. Um, and another way, too, is with these satellites that the these companies are sending up into uh, space, and they're by the tens of thousands. Like, while we're during the lockdown, they're really sending up these um, satellites in, into the sky, like places like Amazon and SpaceX and then other telecommunications uh, technology. Can you uh, kind of just uh, speak to that a little bit? Yeah, Elon Musk and his uh, SpaceX is planning on a, a, an ultimate fleet of 42,000 satellites. And he's got about 2,500 up there already. And he's providing service all over the world right now <clears throat> to a limited number of customers who have bought satellite dishes, and uh, he's been launching like 50 satellites every couple of weeks for quite a while now. So yeah, there's a lot of radiation 
coming down from space, um, in addition to the radiation that is coming from little antennas on the sidewalks and in, in, in uh, cell towers. Um, so yeah, the Earth is being totally blanketed. And I just wanted um, to share that, be- or I'm, I'm thankful that you shared that because uh, the reason why I brought up Alison McDowell's work is that there's a link between the increase in 5G and eventually, like they, you know, they're talking about wanting to go all the way up to 7G. Um, the reason for that is so that they can also uh, collect all this data on us. Because you, you mentioned that there's now, was it on average about 25 wireless devices in our homes? Um, that's that's correct. Yeah. And, and your cell phone is, is a, in addition to being a communication device, is a is a spying device. <laughs> like yeah. It's connected to the cloud, and mm-hmm. everything that you do goes out into the cloud and gets stored somewhere, and we're all under surveillance. Mm-hmm. And and now they want that more so because they you know they keep talking about. Um, this Internet of Things, which I think is already out there, because like you said, there's now all these devices that we have in our homes. Um, and that yes. that can be, you know, that is the Internet of Things, if people aren't aware of that. Um, and now they're, they, they're putting chips and antennas in basically everything that you buy. Mm-hmm. Certainly all appliances, all new appliances have them, your cars have them. And they want to put it in every single device eventually. Mm-hmm that you bring home from Walmart. And uh, they're talking about eventually having one trillion devices part of the Internet of Things on this planet. Mm-hmm. And and then it's also the Internet of Bodies, too, which is very concerning because they want to put these things in our clothes. Um, you know, you see people with these Fitbits in as well. In our clothes, they, they want to... Mm-hmm. They want yes, to connect us all to the cloud and to each other. Yeah. And all these devices, and then eventually, I mean, Allison, I know that for the people who may not be aware of this, I know this sounds kind of like sci-fi, but it's happening. And, uh, you know, the, these technology companies, their vision, and it's not just the technology, governments and other corporations are involved too, um, but their vision is to have our, they want to put these devices in our bodies too, and just control our biology, like they've, they talk about it regularly, like changing the biology of human beings and other living beings on this planet. So I think 5G and 6G and 7G is like the foundation for all that. And that's why I feel like this is really important for people to learn more and become active and, and involved because we can, we don't, we don't have to go down this road. Like we don't have to have these devices. We got on just fine without, you know, smart appliances and whatnot. Like we can, we can roll this back. It's just a matter of educating ourselves and being aware of the problem. And because, you know, otherwise, like, I just shudder to think, like, if this is allowed to roll out, like, the, you know, what that is going to do to us, what that's going to do to other living beings on the planet that already are struggling with all this electromagnetic um, radiation. And so, uh, and maybe this kind of goes into the next uh, question because we're already pretty blanketed by electromagnetic smog, like what can people and communities start to do uh, to protect and minimize um, themselves from electromagnetic radiation? Well, this is a campaign 
that we named our organization back in 1996 the Cellular Phone Task Force. Not the Cellular Tower Task Force, not the Antenna Task Force, the Cell Phone Task Force, because we realized that this was the foundation of the cloud that they were about to blanket the Earth with. It's, it's your cell phone. This is where all the demand is coming from. This is where the command and control of all of the Internet of Things is in people's hands. It's in your cell phone. And the main thing that people have to start to do is going back to wires and getting rid of your cell phones. That is your primary exposure to radiation. It controls everything else. It collects all the information from everything else. And it's your biggest exposure to radiation. Most people have it in their hands at all times, times next to their heads, in their hip pockets. Um, people are having hip surgery like never before because of the radiation. People are having carpal tunnel syndrome like never before because they're holding these cell phones in their hands because of the radiation. It's like, and this is what's creating all of the demand for all of the 5G and 6G and 7G and the satellites. If we've got to start to decrease the demand to make it politically and socially acceptable not to have a cell phone, which we none of us had 25 years ago. And in my opinion, our only hope of having a planet to live on 10 years from now is to start getting rid of cell phone technology because this is not only a health problem, it's an environmental problem. So many of the insects are already gone, disappeared from all over the earth. Used to be 25, 30 years ago, you would drive your car and your if you went on a long trip, your windshield would get splattered with insects and you'd have to wipe it off every so often. doesn't happen anymore. Clean windshields, no insects. Mm -hmm. The birds are diminishing. Why? They're flying up there where all the towers are and they're getting blasted by radiation. They can't orient themselves and they can't migrate. And they're being killed. They, 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 they land on these antennas and, and, and it destroys their, their bodies. So... All this whole network has to has to go, and you can't go around with a cell phone in your hand and wish the antennas away. It's not going to happen. It has to happen in our own lives, like we're doing it to ourselves. Mm -hmm. And uh, and that that's something that I have. I still have uh, a smartphone, but I I'm going to start looking at getting back to just a wired regular telephone. Um, and I think that's important. Like we, yeah, the cell phone. Even um, with the Allison McDowell has said the same thing. Like the cell phone is like the key, the key piece to all this, this path that they that these people want to take us down. And if we can just get rid of this thing, and I, I even think like it would make our. Not only would we not have this thing tethered to us, but we might actually be happier because we don't have 
you know, be happier, you have less anxiety, less depression, you sleep much better, you feel much better. Mm-hmm. It always happens. When, when I talk to somebody and they put down their cell phone and don't use it for a week, and they come back to it, they tell me, oh, my God, I could feel the radiation. Mm-hmm. And it never used to feel before when they were using it all the time. Yeah, They and suddenly it... become aware of it. Well, and I also want, because you were talking about in one of your... Um... And when you're in the soup, you don't feel it. Like the, the, the proverbial frog in the boiling water. Mm-hmm. Well, and I also, because you were talking about in one of your previous uh, newsletters how uh, people are breaking their bones a lot easier. And I was, I was wondering, too, like with, uh, especially because we have it in our hands, like if you've noticed if anyone's broken their hands, like I can feel the radiation, like and I try not to use it too much. And I have, I don't know if this, um, and maybe that will be a question for. Uh, in the next moment or so, but just just kind of off the top of my head, like, have you noticed, like, a hand warm, like, I know you mentioned carpal tunnel, but just other hand injuries, like, I imagine people with arthritis must be, must be suffering with these things. Yeah, it's, it's all increasing. Uh, I don't think anybody's uh, really studying it to that degree. I, I became aware of it because I broke my arm. Mm-hmm. And suddenly, everybody I talked to said, yeah, I broke my arm also. <laughs> it's like, holy cow, all these people have broken bones. And they're telling me about it now because I broke mine. And I started to do some research. And, and lo and behold, there's a bunch of science out there that says that this radiation causes osteoporosis and uh, makes you more vulnerable to bone fractures. So, yeah, you're, hold, you're holding your cell phone on your body. You're, you're causing uh, osteoporosis. And, mm-hmm. and, making, uh, and, and this is part of the reason for the dramatic increase in, uh, in fractures, and particularly in osteoporosis these days. Mm. And just another question off the top of my head, because I, I also see just like as part of what people can do to mitigate the damage, like I've seen a lot of products come, come out that, claim to help reduce electromagnetic radiation and I just wonder if you know if people maybe should be if there's some caveats with that if people should be cautious when buying certain products that claim to they, they should be cautious okay. um, some of these products are fraudulent outright fraudulent mm-hmm. um, some of these products put out electromagnetic radiation of their own Mm. that is supposed to counteract all the wireless radiation Mm -hmm. and protect you from it. If it really protected you from it, your cell phone would not work. Okay. You're still getting irradiated, and not only that, but these devices are giving you more radiation. Mm So, um, to me... Okay, Arthur, so you were saying that uh, there were some... Product, products that you know we got to be cautious about. Yeah, there, there, there's a lot of products on the market that claim to protect you from this electromagnetic soup that we're all in, um, and some of them do nothing at all. They're they're just fraudulent. Um, I'm talking about uh, necklaces, pendants. Uh, things that you plug into your walls, all sorts of things. And some of them, especially the ones that plug into your walls, 
they actually produce radiation of their own. And it's supposed to be a special kind of frequency that protects you from all the other frequencies. Mm -hmm. And that's basically physically impossible. So I consider them all harmful. If they actually put out frequencies, even if they're touted to be protective frequencies, there's no such thing. They just add to the soup and they're harmful. Um, some of them, like some of the types of pendants that, or bracelets that you're supposed to wear, um, are, are based on, on crystals, and crystals can be powerful, um, but they cannot protect you from this terrible electromagnetic soup that we're in, except to a small degree. Mm. Um, so, so no, it, 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 they will give you the illusion of safety, but not actual safety. Okay. And then what about, because uh, I have one of these bags myself, um, I, I turn my phone off and I put it in these electromagnetic frequent, they call they're Faraday like, bags? Uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're shielded bags. Mm -hmm. um, and yes, they do block the radiation. Okay. If Depending on how thickly shielded they are. If they're not well shielded, they don't do much. If they're very well shielded, then they will protect you. Okay. They're little Faraday cages. Okay. And if, let's say people aren't, um, maybe they, they can't afford these bags, can they use something like, a, I know there's the tinfoil. You can uh, wrap it in aluminum foil. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. So that's what people can do if they can't they, afford Take them. aluminum foil. The more layers, the better. Okay. And, and if you want to really uh, protect yourself from your phone at night while you sleep, turn it off. Put it and put it in a metal pot with a metal lid, and that will act like a Faraday cage around it. Oh, good. Okay. So there are like if um, you know, because I I know things are getting a little expensive and a little crazy with uh, inflation. So I'm glad that there's affordable. You know, they, they, I mean, you probably already people are probably already have pots and aluminum foil in their homes that they can start to use. Um, and then that kind of brings me to the kind of our last part of the interview, and that's like how have you noticed, uh, how have people begun to fight back, and how have communities begun to organize um, around kind of uh, preventing further rollout of this technology? Um, I've been involved in this for 26 years with the Cellular Phone Task Force, and today there's hundreds, if not thousands, of organizations all over the world that are fighting 5G. Um, none of it has been successful. Nobody has, has succeeded in stopping any of it. In fact, it's been a steady losses and steady movement backwards and backwards and backwards and backwards and more and more radiation for 26 years. And I've finally come to the place where I think that nobody's going to have any success in stopping this until we start with our own lives. Mm. And if you go out to your city council meeting and protest these cell towers, and you've got cell phones in your hands, you're fighting with yourself. Mm -hmm. 
if you go picket someplace or gather in a protest and everybody's got cell phones in their hands, you are fighting with yourself. We've got to stop using the technology and lessening the demand for it. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we're never going to get anywhere. And, and, uh, that's what we are reorganizing right now to try and create a worldwide coalition that pays attention not only to what's out there, but to our own actions. Mm-hmm. We have to change our actions as well as go to court, as well as go to our city councils, as well as petitioning our government. Because our government, our public officials and our judges also have cell phones in their hands, and they're also in denial, and they also don't want to believe that it's harmful. And they're not hearing from their constituents that this is harmful, except from a very few of us. Mm-hmm. So at the at the point where millions of people start throwing away their cell phones, and this becomes a movement, and there starts to be real pressure from the general public, and we have to start educating all the mainstream environmental organizations, the ones who are protecting insects, and the ones who are protecting amphibians and birds mm-hmm. and mammals. And, and they have to become aware that part of what they are fighting is this super radiation, and they're not paying attention yet. So we have to get this awareness out throughout society. We have to get people to stop using their wireless and put wires back on our devices and start heading in a different direction, Mm -hmm. all of us. And I think that's really important because, um, you know, it's one thing, like you said, it's one thing to try and... uh, stop this but if we're still using the technology then that's also kind of part of the the problem as well and you know I just wanted to say too like we don't you know like we kind of said we don't need this stuff we don't need Fitbits we don't need smart appliances they're not even that well made anyway like they break all the time um you know we don't we've gone on just fine without this stuff and uh I think that's important to remember too because like our, our in some ways our lives were a lot richer like we were able to connect with each other a lot you know more people were involved in their local communities instead of on their uh devices so there's a lot i think it's there's a lot to getting rid of the cell phone and i think it maybe it might be a little hard because i imagine it's also an addiction for some as well um it's not only an addiction but it's how we how our social lives are arranged nowadays it's required for work. It's required for banking. Mm-hmm. We have reorganized all of society so that we can't do without it. And yet, if we don't do without it, we're not going to have a planet to live on very mm-hmm. soon. Yeah. And and uh, you know another group of beings that we can le- learn from and take inspiration from is uh, you know the natural our animal friends and our the insects that need our help, but they don't have a voice. Like we 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 can be their voice, and they. They too have started uh, fighting back, and so I was wondering if you can share the story of how the magpies started fighting back against these. I thought that was I loved that when I read it uh, in your newsletter. You, you don't mind sharing that story? Yeah, that was that was great. They, this this was a uh, team of scientists that wanted to track the magpies, mm-hmm. like they're putting radio tracking devices on all of wildlife, so they could track their movement. So they put uh, 
radio tracking devices on a group of magpies. And as soon as they released the magpies, the, the magpies started pecking at these devices, trying to get them off of their bodies. And other magpies in the magpie community who were not wearing these radio tracking devices came to their aid. And they started finding out how to how to break these harnesses, and they got them off of each other. And within three days, none of the magpies were wearing these things anymore. So it was, uh, and, and the uh, the scientists wrote an article about it. And they decided that since the magpies did not want to be tracked, that they would not track them, and they decided not to put, not to capture anymore and not to put them back on their bodies. And they succeeded in ridding themselves of this radiation. Oh. And I also, like, that's an amazing story. And I just, um, I mean, magpies and crows are some of my favorite uh, birds. And uh, another thought they're that... They're so smart. They're smart, and they are uh, they work together. A lot of teamwork, um, a lot of in, in, uh, ingenuity. And they're just, they're, I, I love watching them and interacting with them. And then another kind of thought that came into my head that where people may be able to start... Um, you know, paying attention to the health of their communities is by paying attention to our trees and our, our bushes. Like, I was out for a walk, and there was these bushes, and they looked really sick. And then right next to the bush was, um, I don't know what the exact name for it, but it was, uh, like, one of those electrical boxes that they have. Um, I think it might have been maybe a transformer or something that they have um, in a part. They had it next to the bushes, and there was, like, I can tell that you know, it was probably the electromagnetic radiation coming from the transformers that were making these sick. So, you know, the Earth and, and Mother Nature, she's trying to communicate to us all the time that this, this, these, I, these devices are making us sick, they're making her sick. And I think by paying attention and also maybe documenting, you know, even if you're an amateur, like I, I'm an amateur photographer, I can start taking photos and sharing with people. Like this is, you know, our trees are sick, we're sick, like, you know, the our n- nature is communicating with us and saying that this is not okay, like, we can't, like you said, we, if we want to have a living planet in the next 10 years, you know, we really got to consider, you know, really got to get rid of these cell phones and get rid of this um, wireless technology because it's not, you know, it doesn't go hand in hand with life. It's an, I think it's just an anti-life device. To be honest, um, but that kind of uh, segues into the uh, kind of the close of today's interview because um, you know, I was wondering, like, if you can uh, share with people a bit more about the cell phone task force and how people can become uh, involved and wind back our electricity or use of electricity. I know you mentioned like the, the cell phone is like the the foundation to all this, and as as individuals, we need to get rid of our cell phones. But if there's anywhere, any way for any other way that people can get involved and learn more about your organization? Yes, we have a website. It's the cellphonetaskforce.org. Cellphonetaskforce.org. And there's a lot of information on it. Um, there's an international appeal to stop 5G on Earth and in space, and that has a website, which is 5gspaceappeal.org. You can still sign that appeal. It's been collecting 300,000 signatures already, um, and it's 
we hope to collect a lot more. Um, <clears throat> you could buy my book, The Invisible Rainbow, A History of Electricity and Life. Um, it is available from my publisher, Chelsea Greed. Um, it's C-H-E-L-S-E-A, Greed. Or from Amazon, and it's available in bookstores. Um, and uh, you can contact me via our website, the, uh, the Cell Phone Task Force website, cellphonetaskforce.org. And you can subscribe to my newsletters on the website. Yes, and I recommend uh, subscribing to the newsletters because uh, I've, I mean, I've, I've been subscribed maybe for about um, a couple of months, and I, I mean, I learn a lot, especially with uh, the latest tech or latest studies on uh, injuries, and so I found it really important. Especially, um, you had one about microwaves, and so I stopped, I stopped using microwaves, and I uh, got one of those little mini uh, crock pots instead if I want to hook or heat up some food. Um, and what I'm going to do is for uh, listeners, uh, I'm going to put a link to to the cell phone task force in the show notes. And I'll also link to, uh, there's a local bookstore here in uh, Vancouver uh, that uh, carries Arthur's book. So I'll link to that and as well as uh, link to uh, your uh, publisher too, if people, uh, you know, other parts of the, the country or they would like to order a copy as well. And um, with that, I mean, I think, I hope that people get a lot out of this interview today and that encourage people to read Arthur's book and to learn more because this is important. Like, it's not, um, I think this is one of the most important issues of our time and of the next decade. And uh, I really appreciate you, Arthur, coming on to the show and uh, sharing your time and uh, sharing your uh, knowledge and insight with people. And I hope that encourages us to um, do the research ourselves. Like, I want to also, because, you know, the mainstream media and experts, um, they're not ne necessarily going to talk about this, not until we force them to, you know. So, because this is something that I've heard um, kind of get, it's like a common rebuttal I hear from people when I talk about, the dangers of electromagnetic magnetic radiation and they always say oh well, well how, how come the media hasn't said anything and i keep saying like they're not going to say anything <laughs> not until we uh create the pressure to say something because they're not it's not in their interest to do that uh so you can't just rely on mainstream media or mainstream experts to provide the information i think we also have to educate ourselves and, and do the research as well so that we're well informed uh, about the the research and also the nefarious research on their end. So, And I think, Arthur, your book is a great starting point for people um, and, and it's a great starting point for understanding how we got here and how um, the health implications of um, electromagnetic radiation and where and how we can start to reverse uh, what's going on. So I highly recommend people, you know, read Arthur's book and start learning about this yourself. Don't, I wouldn't rely on mainstream sources. Just saying. <laughs> um, 